Section 4. In Preparation Now that you have a basic understanding of why stress happens and what turns on the stress response in the first place, the rest of our work together involves helping you do something about your stress. You will learn not only how to keep from being stressed, but also how to successfully turn it off when it happens. What you need to know. Before we jump into the upcoming workbooks, there are a few things that will help you better understand the principles and activities offered in them. These next few parts will lay the groundwork for the important information that you'll learn in the upcoming workbooks, so pay close attention. Thoughts precede emotions. You now know that all of your stress begins with one dominant thought. The thought that you have that initiates the stress response sounds something like, "Uh Uh-oh, this is very bad. I'm in danger. This dominant threat thought initiates the stress response and is followed quickly by the emotions of fear, anxiety, or worry. In fact, every emotion that you ever feel is preceded by a specific set of dominant thoughts. You never have an emotion without having thoughts about something first. This is the pattern. Thoughts lead to emotions. Thoughts always precede emotions. It doesn't happen the other way. You don't have an emotion first. Here is how that works with stress. Events happen in your environment. Next, you observe the event and interpret the meaning of the event and its impact on you. Then, depending on how you interpret the event, if there is any perception of a threat, you experience physiological and emotional changes activating the fight-or-flight response. You never have an emotion about anything without first having a thought about it. This is true with all of your emotions, be they positive or negative. Consider this. You never feel the emotion of sadness without first thinking about or interpreting a situation in a sad way. The same situation could just as easily create feelings of happiness or serenity, depending on how you look at it and think about it. It is always our thoughts that generate our emotions. Anger, for example, always has a specific thought that precedes it. That thought sounds something like, This should not be happening this way. This thought immediately creates the feeling of anger in us. We will revisit this idea more thoroughly in the other workbooks, but for now I want you to get clear about the idea that you experience stress because of the way you are thinking about something. You have the threat thought of danger and the emotion follows. It doesn't happen any other way. Reflective question. Think of a time, recently, when you felt sad, angry, frustrated, happy, elated, or joyous. Step back from your emotions and ask yourself, what was the dominant thought that preceded my emotion? It might be hard to find, but it's there. There will always be a dominant thought take a moment to write down or think about the experience, the emotion, and the dominant thought that preceded your emotion. 
Threat Thoughts When it comes to stress, the dominant thought that always precedes activation of the stress response is a threat thought. If you have a thought of any threat, whether it is real or imagined doesn't matter, that interpretation will automatically be followed by feelings of wanting to run away, such as anxiety, worry, depression, fear, etc., or fight, such as anger, frustration, resentment, irritability, etc. By understanding that thoughts precede emotions, you can go back to the thoughts that initiate the emotions you don't like and consider doing something to change them. Conscious and Subconscious Mind The following story happened to me many years ago. I still remember it as if it had happened yesterday. The impact it had on me was profound back then, and it continues to be one of those amazing phenomena regarding humans that I think we are only beginning to understand. One very interesting day in high school, our teacher, Mr. Ward, told us he was familiar with hypnosis, so we asked him to show us how it worked. Previously, he had hypnotized a couple of the girls in the class, Paulina and Judy. He informed us that they could go under simply when he called their name, counted to three, and then snapped his fingers. We didn't believe this for a moment, but we played along. Before his demonstration, Mr. Ward asked who was the strongest boy in the class. Rick, who played football, was clearly the strongest of us all. Mr. Ward then set up two chairs about four feet apart. He asked Rick to suspend himself between the chairs with his upper shoulders, head, and neck on the seat of one of the chairs and his ankles and feet on the seat of the other. His body, from his upper back down to his calves, was to remain suspended. Mr. Ward asked Rick to remain in that position for as long as possible without buckling or bending at the waist. Within a few seconds, Rick's body started to shake, especially his stomach muscles. We were timing him, cheering him on. He lasted about 15 seconds until he could no longer hold that position. 15 seconds seemed like a long time to Rick. Mr. Ward then approached Paulina and said, Paulina, one, two, three, and then he snapped his fingers. Immediately, Paulina collapsed to the floor like a rag doll. Mr. Ward asked Paulina if she could hear him and if she was okay. Her eyes were closed as if she were asleep. She said she was fine. Fascinated, we watched, but we were pretty sure she was faking it. He then suggested to her that the next time he counted to three and snapped his fingers, her body would become stiff like a steel beam used in construction. He mentioned to her that it would be impossible for her body to bend. He said this to her a couple more times and asked her if she understood. Still with her eyes closed, she said, yes. Mr. Ward then counted to three and snapped his fingers. We watched as Paulina began to straighten out her body on the floor. Mr. Ward asked a couple guys in the class to pick her up and place her between the chairs in the same position Rick tried earlier, supported only by her feet on one chair seat and her upper shoulders, neck, and head on the other. Paulina was probably the smallest girl in the class. She had never lifted any weights nor had she ever considered doing exercises to strengthen her abdominal muscles. 
We watched in absolute astonished amazement as Paulina remained in this suspended position for nearly a minute without bending. I couldn't believe my eyes. This was superhuman what she was doing. There was no way she could fake this. This hour of class had been one of the most memorable experiences of my young life. I should probably add that Paulina's muscles were very sore the next few days. A few years later, I saw a similar demonstration on television where a man was similarly hypnotized and suspended between the chairs. Only this time, another person jumped up and down on his stomach. The suspended man didn't bend or buckle even a bit. Something out of the ordinary happens in the mind during hypnosis that makes someone suddenly able to do extraordinary things. The following is a simplified summary of how the mind works during hypnosis, why it is so powerful, and what this has to do with stress management. Two Parts of the Human Mind Consider the mind as having two parts, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. It has been said that less than 5% of our daily activities are done on a conscious level. We function subconsciously for over 95% of the things that we do each day. Essentially, we are program-running automatons for most of our daily activities. In a way, this is a very good thing. Imagine how awful it would be if you had to learn how to tie your shoes every time you wanted to put them on, or each time you drove your car, you had to consciously create muscle tension in just the right way throughout each part of your upper and lower legs and feet, so you apply just the right amount of pressure to the gas to speed up or the brake to slow down. We call this unconscious programmed behavior, which we've learned mostly from previous experience, conditioning. We've conditioned an incredible number of learned behaviors, and in many respects, we're glad that we have learned or been conditioned to do so many things on autopilot. Consider this. Think of the hamburger you ate for lunch today. As the conscious director of the show, your job is to decide to eat the hamburger. After that, everything happens subconsciously. Your subconscious mind does everything else. You put the food into your mouth. But you don't need to think about how to grab the burger, how to flex and relax the muscles in your arm or in your mouth in just the right way so the food ends up inside there. You begin chewing without needing to consciously make that happen. As you continue working on the food, you apply just the right amount of saliva. The tongue moves the food around so that it gets in between the teeth and then in just the right way sends the barely broken up food down the esophagus where peristalsis continues to move it down to the stomach. You don't have to consciously think about any of that, nor do you have to think about how the protein from the hamburger is going to end up being a part of your right thigh. Your subconscious mind takes care of each of these steps too. It's pretty amazing when you think about all the things that happen within you without being in conscious control of it. Our bodies can digest food, kill pathogens, make a baby, listen to music, and recall how the next note will sound before it does, scratch an itch, and repair the cut you made on your arm when you fell while biking last week. Organs like the kidneys, liver, heart, and many other tissues in the body have cells that are constantly being born, living, and dying. 
All this happens while you're riding your bike on a mountain trail, keeping balance, dodging rocks, not needing to know which muscles to move and how much to push the pedals to go faster, or which muscles to apply to the bike's brake system so you slow down to avoid running into the tree. All of this happens while you are unconsciously aware of gravity, speed, wind resistance, daylight, and the shadows that might hide some loose rocks along the trail. Those and a thousand more physiological bits of activity all happen simultaneously, and usually flawlessly, because your subconscious mind is really the part of you that unconsciously makes it all work. Your conscious awareness is the director. The subconscious mind is the rest of the show. The interplay between the subconscious and the conscious mind is an extraordinarily powerful and miraculous process. If we liken our mind to a coal-powered steam engine, the conscious mind is like the engineer who sits in the front of the train. His job is to guide the train wherever it needs to go. He sees a hill coming up and decides that the train will need more power. He sees a sharp curve coming up and determines that he needs to slow down so the train can negotiate the turn safely. The conscious mind takes in data, analyzes it, and makes decisions. The subconscious mind is like the person in the back who shovels the coal into the fire. He follows the directions from the engineer and does exactly as he is told. The engineer picks up the phone and says, we need more power. The coal guy, also known as the stoker, simply says, oh, okay. He then dumps some more coal into the fire. He doesn't question the command. He doesn't consider the consequences. He doesn't even see what's coming up ahead. He just does what he is told. He only knows to perform his tasks exactly according to instructions without question, without doubt. Such is the subconscious mind. It follows instructions without question and functions to create whatever the conscious mind directs. The subconscious part of the mind is subject to the directions given to it from the conscious mind. Whatever the conscious mind believes, thinks, directs, and focuses on is what the subconscious mind will work on to make happen. The conscious mind initiates the dominant thoughts of doubts, fears, reservations, and considerations for what we feel we can or can't do. The subconscious mind simply believes what it is told and goes about creating that reality. For example, when we say to ourselves that we can't learn math, or that we are shy, or that we can't quit smoking, or that we have dominant thoughts about any other belief or limitation, our subconscious mind simply says, Oh, okay, I will create shyness. I will make him bad at math. I will make it really hard to give up his addiction. It's just putting the coal in the fire exactly as it was instructed. Let's make some comparisons between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is the programmer. The subconscious mind is the program. We could also liken the conscious mind to the hunter. And the subconscious mind is the hunting dog. The conscious mind makes value judgments and analyses. The subconscious mind implements orders and it doesn't question. The conscious mind senses good and bad, right and wrong, appropriate and inappropriate. The subconscious mind is unable to judge good and bad, 
right and wrong, etc. It does not possess a prominent moral value system. It makes no value judgments. The conscious mind is personal. The subconscious mind is impersonal. The conscious mind makes decisions and selects destinations. The subconscious mind is subject to conscious control. It does not initiate pursuits. The conscious mind processes about 40 bits of environmental stimuli per second. The subconscious mind processes about 40 million bits of stimuli per second. The conscious mind can think forward and backward in time. The subconscious mind's focus is only on now, on this moment. The conscious mind provides less than 5% of our daily conscious activity. The subconscious mind directs between 95 and 99% of our daily behaviors. It holds the memory and emotional impact of everything we have thought, felt, and experienced through our entire life. The conscious mind initiates beliefs. The subconscious mind stores beliefs. The conscious and subconscious mind during hypnosis. When a person is hypnotized, an interesting thing happens with the conscious mind. Usually the person hypnotized goes into a slightly altered mental state, usually more relaxed, where he or she is more suggestible. What this means is the conscious mind sort of moves off to the side for a little while, and the hypnotist talks directly to the subconscious mind. Without the conscious mind filtering the information, the subconscious mind doesn't know any limitations, so it does exactly as it is told. This is why hypnosis works as powerfully as it does. So what does all this have to do with stress? We will explore the answer to this question and how to benefit from this information thoroughly in the other workbooks. We'll look at some of the programming that you've done or had done to you that causes you to feel a variety of unpleasant feelings, including stress. We will also take some time to learn how to reprogram your subconscious mind so you end up with better emotional experiences and less stress. For now, simply keep in mind that when we refer to the conscious mind, we are talking about your conscious decision-making processes that happen moment to moment. Your subconscious mind involves all the learning, training, and conditioning, along with all of the other physiological and biological activity that happens underneath your conscious awareness. The Goals for These Workbooks Sure, one of my main goals for you is to see you return to a state of mind-body balance so you can experience homeostasis again. I want to see your unpleasant symptoms of stress go away. That's clearly a good goal. However, I believe there's an even higher goal on your way to preventing and reducing your stress. I believe it is possible for you to take your well-being to a much higher level. As you become familiar with the things you'll learn in the other workbooks, you'll not only feel balanced physically, psychologically, and emotionally, but you'll also begin to feel tranquil and serene. Over the years, so many people have told me they have never felt so good, so clear-headed, so balanced, so healthy and happy. These stress management skills can go beyond balance and on to tranquility. This is what I want to happen to you. If you do what I invite you to do, it will.